put up my title slide? Everyone say it with me. Say it again. I'm glad you asked. Today I want to talk about why. Why do things happen? Is there a reason for everything? For what reason do things happen? Has everything got a reason? Is is God behind everything that happens? An earthquake, car accident, getting sick, getting a job, having a baby, or a million other things. Was God behind the reason that you got a really good park at Chermside last Christmas? It's a pretty philosophical question, and the answer is not actually simple. Even the Bible can give seemingly contradictory or conflicting messages. Look at Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. Are you just a victim of time and chance? Are you just in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time? Is that what life is all about? I actually think that's why you got a good park at Chermside, by the way. That's one reason why time and chance happen to all. But the Bible also gives a very seemingly opposite kind of reason for reason. And it's the opposite of time and chance. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when addressing worry, says this. Luke 12, verse 7. Why? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You have more value than many sparrows. One scripture telling me time and chance happen to all, and the other one tells me that God knows me so intimately, He knows how many hairs are on my head. For some of you, it's easier than others. So this morning, I want to look at the story from Acts that will hopefully give us some wisdom on this. But first, let me set up that story. Right, The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 speaks of the things that he went through. He calls it foolish boasting, but he still goes through it. Right, And he tells all the things that he went through. So let's have a a look at what some of those things. He says, look at these verses, verse 25. Three times I was beaten. With rods, once I was stoned, that meant he had stone thrown at him. He didn't get stoned, right? Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea. This message came out of the thought one day as I was just walking along, why did Paul have to get shipwrecked three times? Why wasn't once enough? If God is able to control all things, why did he allow him to be shipwrecked three times? And I want to tell you, the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't say that, to be honest, it only tells of one shipwrecked. Out of the three times he was shipwrecked, in Acts 27, it tells us of a time that he was shipwrecked, which we're going to have a look at in just a moment. And to be honest, commentators aren't even sure if that's one of the ones he's referring to in 2 Corinthians because that happened right at the end of his life. So maybe that was a fourth shipwreck. We can't really know. So why three shipwrecks? Did Paul always pick the worst boats? Maybe he's just a terrible picker of boats. That one looks safe. It's not. It hasn't got a whatever it needs, a rudder, right? Maybe he was just a cheapskate. 
right? And he would just go and look for the cheapest boat around and then get on that boat. And it's obviously cheap for a reason. You get what you pay for. Was he just unlucky? Just unlucky. Was God trying to teach him something in the shipwreck? And if so, why didn't he just learn it the first time rather than have to go through it three times? We, we can't know. And that's because the Bible doesn't tell us. But we can look at the one shipwreck the Bible does tell us about and then have a look at some of the reasons why. And I hopefully will help us understand. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story because it's a chapter and a half long. It's uh, all of Acts 27 and half of Acts 28. But I'm going to give you like a bit of a, a summary of what happened. So Paul is a prisoner. He's on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. And Paul tells the Roman prison guard not to go out to sea because they're going to end up and certainly suffer injury. He goes, this, this is going to be a shipwreck. It's not going to be good. Don't go. Don't go. But the centurion, he doesn't listen. And they set off sail anyway. And they're out there and sure enough, a major storm erupts. Paul gives them the kind of, yeah, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. But then comforts them by saying an angel has appeared to him and that no one's going to die if they stay with the ship and, you know, there's going to be loss of goods, but there's not going to be any loss of life. They're in the storm for two weeks. That's a big storm. Imagine being on a leaky boat out in the sea where you can't see any land for two weeks. That's a long time. Two weeks from now is a long time. After two weeks, they realise our land is close, but they're actually scared of running aground. And so Paul has communion with them. Pretty much most of them wouldn't have been believers. And the Bible says that that encouraged them. Right? So there we see Paul having communion with 276 people on that boat. Obviously, the majority of them not believers, but they are encouraged. Because whenever you bring Jesus and the name of Jesus into any circumstance, it will always be encouraging. They attempt to ground the ship on a beach, but they get caught on a reef. The soldiers then plan on killing the prisoners so they can't escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, orders them not to, and they land in Malta. You know, they're there in Malta, and they're welcomed by the local people. And they start to build a fire because it's cold. It's nighttime. They're going to build a fire. And Paul, showing us the type of man that he is, just doesn't get other people to get the fire. He's now also getting out there with everyone else, picking up the sticks to get a fire. When he picks up one of those sticks, a snake comes out, bang, bites him on the arm. And then the people sit there and go, look at that. He might have been saved by the sea, but his destiny, his karma, was that he's going to be going to die and uh, he's got bitten by a snake. He's going to wait now. Sucked in, mate. You got rid of we, you've saved the sea, but snake got you. Right? So they're starting to think about these things. I want to say this, right? Just, just a complete aside. I've got nothing to do with my message, but it's just very interesting. Critics of the Bible, people tell you they shouldn't listen to the Bible. It's a bunch of, you know, silly stories. They actually use this accusation against the, uh, that the Bible is true, the Bible is correct. They say there's no snakes on Malta. You go to Malta today, there are no snakes, right? Not like Australia, right? Lots of snakes. I saw a snake in golf the other day, just a brown snake going straight across the thing. I saw two snakes at church here one day about a week ago, right? So, Warner, not Redcliffe, all right? So, 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 
so they sit there and say, there's no snakes on Malta, yet the Bible says that it's Malta and they lie snakes. Well, you know what? There are animals there 2,000 years ago. doesn't mean that there have to be animals there right now. You know, just this week, they reintroduced cheetahs into India. Right? We had the first cheetahs in India. Now, they've been there before, but there's no cheetahs in India now. Right? And now, until this week. All right? So it's not a proof that the Bible is wrong. It's just saying that things change. When I was a kid, I used to go to school in the city of Adelaide. The city of Adelaide surrounded by parklands, had a little creek. And we would go after school and we would catch yabbies in a creek in the middle of Adelaide City. Trust me, there are no yabbies in Adelaide in the middle of the city anymore. Right? Those days are gone. Just because an animal was there then doesn't mean that to stay there forever. Amen? All right. It's amazing what the opponents of God will do and what lengths they'll go to to try and discredit the Bible. But the Bible is the word of truth. But back to our story. The, the local people, they've reasoned that it's essentially karma. He was a bad man, escaped death from the sea, but whom God has got anyway. But he doesn't die. And the Bible makes a big thing. He doesn't even swell up. And then they go the opposite way. First of all, God got you. Now they've gone right over here and they say, you must be a God, right? So they sit there now believing that he's a God. And, and he's going, no, 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 I'm just, you know, no, I'm not God. But he heals the father of the island, of the, of the island chief, sorry. And then many, many people get saved and many people get healed. And Paul stays there for three months. A ship finally comes and they head off to Rome. Good story? Okay. So in it, we can ask and answer the question why in so many ways, and I hope we can. So, first of all, why was Paul in prison? There's a reason for that. He'd been preaching the gospel, and he'd caused an issue in Ephesus because what he did is that he cast a demon out of a girl who was a fortune teller. And because he cast the demon out of the fortune teller, the girl was no longer able to tell the future and her owners, because she was a slave, she was just a commodity to someone, he actually said, oh, that's it. And they got mad because he was losing money, and he starts a riot in that city. The soldiers come, they go to arrest Paul, and Paul goes, hey, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. He goes, I'm a Roman citizen, you cannot arrest me. I want to stand before Caesar. So what we see here right now is that the reason why is Paul is in prison because of something that he did. He preached the gospel and it got him arrested. Sometimes the question of why is just like, it's me. It's the result of my own decision. It's you. It's the reason you're in where you're in is because of you, good or bad. We are a product of our daily decisions. Not others. Not God, not the devil. There may be God factors in why we made those decisions, but in the end, we made the decision. Now, the reason why Paul is preaching the gospel is God. He's preaching the reason because God initiated something in his life. God had miraculously intervened in his life when he's on the way to Damascus to actually kill Christians. And as he's there on his horse or walking or whatever, the Bible doesn't say it was a horse, right? So he all of a sudden gets confronted by Jesus, the one that he's trying to kill people who follow. And he has such a dramatic 
encounter with God that he says, I'm going to go and become the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? And he becomes the apostle, starting churches in all the places that he was going to go one time and kill Christians. He made many choices along the way, but it was initially God was the why. But what's the reason? He's in the boat in the middle of a storm at the wrong time of year. It's not his fault. It's not God's fault. It was a stubborn man's fault. You know, God had shown Paul, this trip's going to end in disaster. Paul was informed the Turian, Bible calls him Julius, that's his name. But because the centurion was stubborn, or maybe because he's insecure and didn't want to be told what to do by a prisoner, or maybe he's just ignorant to the power of God. And so he said, I'm still listening to this man of God. I'm going to listen to the ship's pilot, right? I, I'm going to do that. He decides to go on the trip anyway. So Paul went through this storm, not because of God, not his own actions, but because of another person that he had no control over. And many things happen because another person makes a call in your life that you have no control over. It's not God, it's not you. Someone else makes the call. Might be your boss, he just makes a call. Might not be God's will, but God isn't going to intervene. Listen to this. Because whether what happens is good or bad, God stands over all. You know, if someone robs your house, it's not God, it's not the devil. It's a sinful man who out of his own actions decides to override your rights. And I want to say it's when we start overthinking and complicating things that we get in trouble. We start to doubt God and we start to doubt God's love and we start to doubt God's power. And what could be a nasty incident caused by a foolish, sinful man all of it becomes something that rattles your faith. Where our faith is not in our circumstance, is our faith is in God who overrides every circumstance. Some things we just need to accept and know even if it's bad, God's going to get us through. Paul on the boat, he actually starts to get worried. Sometimes we think these guys are superheroes. You know, they never think bad. They never get scared. They never have any of these things. But he's actually scared. He thinks, am I going to pay with a premature death because of the result of some stubborn guy who wouldn't listen to me in the first place? This is what he thinks. In verse 27, verse 20, we, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Paul got to a place where he loses all hope. Don't beat yourself up if you find yourself in times where you're losing hope. Paul gets to a point of no hope. It's not even his fault. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault, but some stubborn, insecure boss man's fault. Let me tell you right now, and hopefully this ministers to someone and, and, and set someone straight. A third party, a third person cannot interfere in the destiny that God has for you. Only you or God can change your destiny. That's only you or God can change God's plan for your life. 
You know, I remember many moons ago when I was engaged to a girl, right? And she broke it off. It's hard to believe, I know, but she did. Right? She broke it off. I didn't. I loved her. We were going to get married. I was engaged. I thought she was awesome. We were kind of like the it couple in the youth group and, and she just decided, I thought at the time out of fear that she is going to, you know, just uh, break off our relationship. I was devastated. I cried. I was, I was upset. And, uh, and I was just sitting there going, what, what is going on? And I literally made the decision that I'll still marry someone nice, but it's not going to be God's plan A. I, I, I made the decision, God loves me, God cares for me, but she was plan A. She was the destiny. She was the one that God had for me. But, all right, because of her fear, I'm now going to live lesser than what God had for me. Right? I, I made that call and I really believed it. And I lived like I believed it because I didn't really believe that God was in control of my life, that God had a destiny for my life. And I want to say, being married to Nina now for 27 years, thank God I did not marry that girl. And let me tell you, Nina is 150% the one that God had for me and that God wants for me and that God has a destiny for me in. Understand this, a third party cannot disrupt the destiny of God in your life. Only God deals in destiny. Think of Nehemiah, who believes that God has called him so much, he's willing to stand before an unrighteous king with his dream and say, God has shown me this. King Cyrus didn't care about God, didn't care about the Jews, didn't care about Jerusalem, didn't care about the Jews' laws, the Jews' ways. He didn't care about the Israelites at all. They were just an annoyance to him. Good riddance. But he believes God so much, he's willing to stand before that king. And then God is able to move the hand of the king and the heart of the king. And then all of a sudden, he's then sent to Jerusalem to rebuild the land. A third person is not in control of your destiny. Only God is. I want to break off the if only in some people's lives. If only. Break that right now. You're in God's will. And even if you made a poor choice, God is able to turn around for good to those who love him. Even our sin, even our failures, even our mistakes. So take away that if only. You're in where God's will is now. And if you're not, you can start today. You can start today. It's time to get back to believing God and make the best over whatever storm you're in. So Paul is visited by an angel. And this is what the angel says. Your destiny is in the hand of God no matter how bad the storm is or how hopeless it seems right now. Acts 27 verse 24. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who have sailed with you. Be careful that you're not, you're, so, you're not so busy looking at why you're going through something that you forget that you're a son or daughter of God with a calling and a job and purpose to do in God's kingdom. You know, no matter how bad your storm is. You know, my niece just lost her two-year-old son, died of a seizure. Terrible. There's nothing good out of that. But God has a purpose and a plan in all. It doesn't matter 
as long as you know God is going to get you through the storm. It's not your boss. It's not your church. It's not your pastor. It's not anything. It's, it's God in control of your life. So back to our story. They run aground. And because it's the year 50 and not the year 2022, they decide they're going to kill all the prisoners. Right? Imagine we got a flat tire on the bus to prison bus. Right? Now we're just going to kill all the prisoners because we don't want any of them to escape. Right? Like, be glad if you're a prisoner today. Much tougher back then. The stubborn, insecure, and ignorant centurion, who was the reason for the shipwreck anyway, now becomes Paul's saviour. He literally saves Paul's life. The Bible says that our authorities are there for our good. The same authority that got him into the mess now gets Paul out of the mess. Be careful to treat your authorities well that God places in your life. Maybe if we prayed more for our authorities in our lives rather than bring them down, complain about them or work against them, we wouldn't be asking why so often. Understanding that God is actually in control and in charge even when the storms are going on will ultimately trump the why the storm is going on. Paul then gets bitten by a snake. It's causing all the people to talk about him. Ah, oh, he's bad. Ha ha, his deeds have caught up with him. The sea didn't get him, but you can't escape your past. Then when he doesn't die, they think he's a god. I want to say, trying to work out the why from the opinions of people is fraught with danger. People change and their opinions change even more. I think that there's some value in speaking to people who love you, people who are wiser than you, people who have got a track record in, a, in an area. The Bible says that in a multitude of counsellors there is safety. But in the end, you cannot be ruled by the opinions of others. The opinions of others change. One day they think you're an evil person and the next day they think you're God. So trying to find out whether you reason you're going through whatever you're going through based on people is very, very not wise. That's beautiful. <laughs> that must have really meant something to God. He even let there be like a little chorus. Have enough intestinal fortitude and enough faith to actually believe that what God thinks of you is enough. You know, we always hear that story, let the joy of the Lord, not story, that scripture, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And it's like, won't you smile and be happy? It's not your joy. It's God's joy. When God's looking at you, he's got a smile on his face. He's not got a finger pointing at you. He's not a scrow. He's not mad. He's not angry. When God looks at you, he's got a smile on his face. Let's believe that. Let's believe that. Let's hold on to that. So, let's look at our reason why. Could be God. Could be us. Could be another person. Could be time and chance. Notice that I haven't spoken about the devil. It's because I don't believe that the devil can directly affect you. After Jesus' victory on the cross, the devil only has the same power that he had in the Garden of Eden. He's got suggestion and he's got bluff, and he's got the calling of the character of God and the power of God into question. That's all he's got. 
Do you think that if God, the devil could give my kids cancer, that he wouldn't? If the God could, if the devil could give my kids cancer, they would have cancer, right? If, if, if the devil had those powers, so don't don't get like that. The enemy only has the power of bluff. He only has the power, or where you've invited him in to those areas of your life. So understand that. So this morning, I haven't actually answered the question why. Maybe the band could come. All I've done is I've made it a little bit more confusing. And the reason is, sometimes there is no why. Sometimes it's man. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's time or chance. Sometimes it's you. Knowing why is overrated. Because knowing why doesn't actually change anything. You still have to deal with the reality that you have to go through, whatever it is that you're going through. And knowing why won't actually help you. Knowing why will only make you blame someone. Blame something. And once you blame someone or something, it's their fault or it's out of my control. And then you don't have to do anything about it. You can sit in your misery because it's not your fault. It was him. It was her. It was God. It was the boss. It was the church. It's the government. Knowing why could just make you a victim. And the Bible's clear and says, I want you to be and live victorious. In not knowing, it's not knowing why that matters. It's knowing that God loves you regardless of what it is. That's what matters. God loves you no matter what you are going through. That's what matters. Romans 8 verse 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me leave you with that this morning. No circumstance that you go through is going to separate you from the love of God. That's what the enemy wants out of it. He wants to build a chasm between you and God because of what happened. Well, if God was good, how come that happened? If God was good, why did he allow that? See, this is where the enemy comes in. Shooting those fiery darts into our minds, trying to say, that means God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. God hasn't got power over you. Look at this. Whereas the what we need to do is to know that God loves us and that gets us through the storm. Storms are inevitable. Storms are unavoidable. No matter why. But I want to say that God's love is inexhaustible and infinite. You need to know that God's love is greater than any storm and get you through any storm, no matter the why. Now let's bring it to the road. Let's bring it home. The Bible says this. There's faith, hope and love. There's three gross things. They're always going to stand. They're never going to be gone. And it says this, that the greatest of these is love. 
And the reason that is love is because it sits upon the rest. Faith and hope sit upon love. See, when you understand that God loves you, all of a sudden you can have hope that God's going to come in to your life. And then when you have hope, all of a sudden that hope can move into faith, that knowing that God is going to sort out this particular situation. So what happens? Whenever we go through that thing of like, I'm losing hope. See, you can't have faith. If you can't even hope that God's going to make it better, there's no way you're going to have faith that God's going to make it better. So let's go right back to the start and understand that these things are trying to separate us from the love of God. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to sit in the love of God. I'm going to sit in the fact the one thing that I do know, everything might be going crazy around me, but the one thing I do know is that God loves me. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to sit in that love. I'm going to sit maybe through worship, maybe through the Word, maybe, but I'm not going to move. I'm not even going to try and make myself, well, I have to do this. No, I'm just going to sit in the fact that God loves me. 